Welcome in, everybody, to Browns Film Breakdown, now week 13 episode. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com. And we're not going to waste too much time, guys. We are actually going to dive right into the discussion on Baker Mayfield. It's been a hot topic this week, not only across local media here in Cleveland, but also across the national landscape as well. Look, guys, I've tried to share as many of my opinions as possible on the situation with Mayfield. I I try to uh, eloquently put them on Twitter, but sometimes getting a voice behind what I'm thinking is best. If you considered Mayfield to be anything other than what he is putting out there, not only on the field, but in the media, I think you were fooling yourself. Mayfield was never going to be that cookie-cutter prospect, like he even used his own words, that cookie-cutter quarterback that is going to answer questions the way that everybody thinks questions should be answered and view things the way everybody thinks things should be viewed. That's not who he is. You drafted Baker Mayfield with the idea that this guy is constantly looking for advantages, mentally, psychologically, however you want to put it. He is always looking for that doubted uh, aspect to his game, to his personality, whatever it is that gives him a chip on his shoulder to go out and play even harder than he normally does. And I think Hugh Jackson gave it to him. I'll again reiterate that I don't think Baker Mayfield has a problem with Hugh Jackson in, in, in general. And I certainly think that he understands that Jackson's going to seek out work upon his firing from Cleveland. But what did seem to rub Baker the wrong way was his general demeanor when he was in Cleveland, how he handled the quarterback controversy, and really how he handled Baker in total. From there, Baker's never going to hide how he feels about somebody. If you're expecting something different out of him, you're, you're really kidding yourselves. And I think most of Cleveland understands that. You know, the talking heads are going to take advantage of backing Hugh as much as they possibly can because that's somebody who could be in media someday and they want to get their opinion out there on who they think Mayfield is as a person without totally understanding the situation. Most of us who have been involved with the Hugh Jackson fiasco over the last few years, we really understand who Hugh Jackson is, who he presented himself to be through the media the blameless figure, all of those things we were accustomed to. And Baker was really speaking to that and speaking for the locker room and really speaking for the general population in Cleveland. But in all honesty, this angle's been played out, and I really don't want to talk much more about Hugh Jackson here in Cleveland and how Baker's comments can be construed to create a controversy that's probably not there. Both of them probably have an opinion of the other that is not favorable. Baker decided to take it into the media he, he laid everything out he wanted to lay out, and that's fine. I expect those things from Baker. I know it's going to be part of the process with this kid. As he grows older, it might change. He might keep some of those things to himself, but he's still a 23-year-old kid trying to find his way in the league. And perhaps someday he does change this sort of answer to avoid the scrutiny that comes with it. But for now, he's comfortable in his own skin. He's comfortable with where he stands in this franchise, and he's comfortable with speaking for the locker room, and I think that carries a lot of weight. The unfortunate part of this is that we've missed out on what was really a record-setting day for for Mayfield. He threw four touchdowns. He was about as efficient as he could possibly be. Not quite as efficient as he was against Atlanta, but the overall product, the process by which he he accomplished his goals, I wrote about his uh, breaking down structure and sort of making plays outside of that normal structure for Cleveland.com. I hope you guys had a chance to read it. If not, you can find it on my timeline. I have a link to it. Just scroll through there. You'll be able to find it or hop on Cleveland.com. It's good analysis of how when plays break down, Baker's making more and more plays, and that's really what I want to analyze. How in the last five weeks, Baker Mayfield has turned himself statistically into one of the elite quarterbacks, not just in the rookie class, but he's turned himself into one of the more elite production quarterbacks in the NFL. 13 touchdowns, two interceptions since the Tampa Bay game, which is which is really fantastic touchdown-interception ratio. Up over 1,100 yards, completing nearly 70% of his passes, and really they've protected him much better as well. Only 
uh, you know, zero sacks in the last two games. It's really a direct reflection. We tie it back to Freddie Kitchens. Plenty of conversation has come about that, and, and that is due uh, respect to Freddie Kitchens for how well he's been able to work with Mayfield. But staying on the topic with Mayfield, I'm going to bring in today's guest, who I have the utmost respect for, breaks down college quarterbacks all the time, and is going to give us what I think is a really good pre-draft to post-draft opinion on who Mayfield is as a product, how far he's come, and compare him to the rest of the rookies. So without further ado, let's jump to our guest today. All right, guys. Uh, Baker Mayfield week here with the Cleveland Browns, obviously coming off of a hot game, coming off of a hot press conference after that game. I wanted to pull in a guy who... I believe Brown's Twitter respects quarterback take-wise. We obviously had the quarterback wars leading up to this draft. Uh, Ian uh, Ian Wharton is here with me. He's at NFL Film Study on Twitter. He does really good quarterback threads of college prospects. I know we all spent a lot of time watching his Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen threads that he had running last year. He, uh, he does more than that. He's an analyst at Optimum Scouting, an NFL contributor on Fansided, and then does college football work at Bleacher Report. So I wanted to get his opinion on Baker, see where he sits with pre-draft to post-draft, all that good stuff. So, uh, Ian, man, how are you tonight? I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm a little bit sad because college football is coming to an end really quickly. Um, but I'm also excited because NFL playoffs look like they're going to be really exciting. And this last couple of weeks, uh, this last little stretch here is really heating up. So I was a little bit worried, too, because like the, the, the playoff picture was starting to get a little bit predictable a couple of weeks ago. And then the NFL went all NFL on us. And it was like, <laughs> no, none of this is actually predictable. So don't look like an idiot by saying that. <laughs> That's right. Man. No, I, I feel like in the blink of an eye, college football season has come and gone. I don't, I don't, it's been faster. Than, now this could be, I have my first child and I don't get to watch it. Like I used to watch it, but, um, no, it's, it's gone fast. And, and, and really I'm going to talk to you about a little bit of college, but, but, but do this for me and tell me what you thought of and, and just surmise. I know you've written, you've written long form on this prior, uh, leading up to the, to the 18 draft, but, but where did Baker Mayfield sit for you pre-draft? Um, which is, which is a big question. Uh, I'll let you answer that one first. So pre-draft, what did you think of him? Just if you can surmise strengths, weaknesses, where you thought he should go. Yeah, definitely. So strengths, I thought, Looking at him, obviously the, the personality. I, I thought that his ability to walk into a situation um, completely changed the dynamic of what a franchise could potentially need. Uh, I thought that was a really big selling point. I think it's easy for a lot of people to um, oversell that at times, but with Baker, it was so obvious. Um, and, and it wasn't like a Tim Tebow situation where Tebow's talent was a lot more questionable. Um, what we saw on the field with Baker was, was, you know, it would just smack you in the face just how good he was. And, and the system that he was in in Oklahoma, um, I thought it highlighted his strengths, but it was also some of a product of his strengths as well. So I thought that coming from Oklahoma, he really meshed well with a first-year head coach in Lincoln Riley, and, and the things that Riley did was was obviously something that has boosted himself and also boosted um, Kyler Murray. But I was very comfortable with Baker coming out because I thought that Riley really pushed him to be his best and really show off all the throws to all levels of the field, being able to read a defense pre- and post-snap, uh, being able to adjusting to plays, adjusting to different coverages. He, he really answered a lot of those questions on the field throughout his time there and and 
you know, obviously the, the situation at Texas Tech going into Oklahoma, it's just so unique, and his situation was so unique. Yeah. Um, so I really liked the personality, the ability to overcome some circumstances, the ability to uh, really maximize the situation that he's in. I, I thought weakness-wise, and, and really going beyond it, let's go even on the field more. I thought his field vision was good. He took care of the ball extremely well. Not a lot of turnover opportunities. Um, absolutely destroyed zone coverages. Um, so just a very smart player. Like he's just someone that he's just so natural on the field, and and we're starting to see that now uh, in the recent weeks. Is that you know when he's confident, when he's trusting what's going on around him, and he kind of knows what to expect at least from his teammates. It, it starts to elevate to another level, and, and that was really a special thing from him. And so um, weaknesses, I, I would say, I think he has an average arm, maybe above, slightly above average to short to midterm throws. He can hit those throws. I'm, it's not a concern. It's not an insult. Uh, when I say that, it's not necessarily like a Patrick Mahomes, though. It's not, um, it's not a Stafford type of arm where if his base isn't set, I think that it's a little bit dicier. I think we've seen that even this year a little bit um, on some outside the the numbers throws where if he's not necessarily set or if he's not facing his target, there's times when it, it just kind of soars a little bit and it hangs in the air just a little bit too long for, for what I'd love. Um, but that's also one of those things where developmentally he avoids those pretty well. Like it, it, Those are not necessarily consistent issues for him. It's just one of those things that – you notice it sometimes is, is if he's rushing his process, sometimes those balls can get away from him a little bit. Um, I also don't think his deep ball is a consistent one, at least as far as hitting guys in general stride. I don't I don't like to over-prioritize hitting guys in stride on deep balls because that's a really high standard that even the best quarterbacks in the NFL don't hit consistently. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that some of his passes were – um, a little bit floaty, a little bit more of the just let's just lay it up there and make the completion. Uh, but it's nitpicking a little bit, and, and that's what's going to happen when a guy completes, you know, like 77% of his <laughs> passes or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's, it, it is tough, and it, it's tough for me because I looked at that system and I said, well, he's not always making very tight window throws. So it's not a matter of I, I, don't, I know he can't do it. It's a matter of I just haven't seen him do it a lot. Yeah. So I can't say he can't do it. I just I can't check that box and say, oh, like I know for I feel great about that. Like so, for example, like Josh Rosen, I felt great saying that. Like Josh Rosen was constantly making these tight window throws, and it's really it's funny because like because he had a worse coach and a worse situation and worse playmakers, he was having to make those throws. So it's actually the the product of a worse environment. So it's kind of funny that like that can be a positive for a quarterback. Whereas like on the field, obviously you want what Oklahoma has. It's way more effective yeah. <laughs> for many reasons. So um, it, it was really small stuff. I think I, the upside for me, for Baker, um, I didn't necessarily see a guy who I didn't love the Drew Brees comparisons because, you know, you mentioned these QB threads. I, you know, last summer I went back and I watched Drew Brees and, at Purdue. I went back, I, I yeah. found as many games as I could on YouTube and, I'm not kidding you. I, I think Drew Brees is the best quarterback that's ever played in college football. Um, he he was unbelievable. Like what we see on Sundays is what he was doing at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, how he fell to the second round, you know, that's that's a great mystery. I, I, I sure don't think it would happen today. I think it's um, because of just factors that were really out of 
Breeze's control back then um, was system concerns, size control, uh, size concerns, stuff like that. And, and we really don't face that at, at this time. And Baker's a good example of that because he's very similar as far as his build. Um, and even the system he came from, you could see Joe Tiller's influence on. Um, so it's interesting to kind of look back at that. I, I, I just struggle with those comparisons because I, I feel bad trying to compare a guy to a top five NFL quarterback of all time. Yeah, like totally. that to me is, is really intimidating. Um, but stylistically you do see some of those, those as well. So, um, I, I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily project him to be an all pro, um, but I did project him to be a high floor above average, at least quarterback. And, um, you know, I felt great about taking him in the first round. He was definitely at like a top five pick. Like I didn't think that was the question. I preferred Rosen a little bit. But That's what I was going to ask you where where he fell in your hierarchy coming in, and this isn't a someone's wrong or way too early to do that. Just yeah. uh, interested in where you had him coming coming in. Yeah, so I, I had him definitely with a first round grade. Uh, only guys with first round grades I had was Rosen and and Mayfield. Um, I had Rosen a little bit higher, um, although it's funny when so I, I chart these quarterbacks and I kind of break it down into catchable passes or accuracy. Um, Mayfield's at the top, you know, he's in like the top five in most categories, both of his seasons at Oklahoma. So analytically, if you want to say, for example, he was a stronger prospect than Rosen. Um, it wasn't a matter of that for me. It was just kind of like a little bit of the eye test. I just, just liked Rosen's game a little bit more as far as projecting it. And some of that is just because, like I said, I was comfortable because I know what I saw will be used in the NFL. Whereas, you know, we saw it with Hugh with Baker if a coach isn't willing to do what Baker's really, really good at or what he was great at in college and made him the number one overall pick, then it became a little bit dicier. And I, I think that we kind of saw that even um, for a couple weeks there that like he was good, but it wasn't what we've been seeing lately. <laughs> so it, it, that projection process is always tough. So I did have Rosen above, Wilma, uh, above him, but um, I do think that the personality factor made it to where like I wasn't critical of the pick. Like, I got it. Like I, I can totally understand why John Dorsey sat in an interview room and was probably just absolutely blown away by Baker. Like that, I think that's easy to see. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, I was really into the idea of uh, of Baker being a one of the higher quarterbacks in this class in the offseason when you watched his tape from uh, 2016, obviously. But but the Ohio State game is where I felt confident in saying I think this guy is 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 the quarterback in this class and there were factors at that time of things we didn't know we had the idea of the d uh, underage or it wasn't an underage it was a public intox and, and all of those things are out there and um you know you 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 everybody watches quarterbacks and you see something different that's what's really unique about uh transitioning process how quarterbacks go from college to the nfl because you you me and another person could watch three prospects and come back with three different answers on who the best one is which is it's what makes it fun um and and i certainly i leaned baker i i loved josh rosen as well uh, there were parts of sam darnold that were really enjoyable to me and and i i have i am going to ask you about some of those other names and how they've you know performed just 12 weeks in is because you know we now see lamar starting finally so we have all five first round quarterbacks who have seen some time as a starter uh, but but sort of closing the deal on Mayfield since the whole picture here, he started out uh, obviously week three came in halfway through, saw some successes. First two games hit a bumpy road. The last five weeks we've seen him turn a bit of a corner. Now it doesn't take a genius to see that the defense have not have been as quality as 
perhaps, you know, playing Pittsburgh and Baltimore and the likes were before, but, um, you know, and I should say Pittsburgh was in that mix of those five games, but nonetheless, I, I I'm interested in saying, in, in seeing it's early. It's, it's only nine, 10 starts into his career, but has anything sort of been different? I had apprehension to be honest with you. And I had a little bit of apprehension how quickly he would be able to come in and to adapt. And I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, like I said, those last five weeks of, of defenses haven't been very good, but at the same time, he's a rookie and he's, he's really shredded them lately. Statistically, there have been some mistakes, there have been some flaws still, but I'm interested in your perspective, um, sort of how he's been these last five weeks. Uh, you know, the 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, 1,100 yards, 70-ish percent completion percentage. What do, what do you – is is that what you expected from him? Has it been a little bit better? Where do you sit with that? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I – don't, I don't think it was ever fair to maybe expect like that type of production. Um, I think some of the numbers are inflated a little bit, especially since Kitchens has taken over like – for example, like the Njoku touchdown pass this past week, like for sure. For I mean, but but that's the NFL right now. Like that's where we're at. I mean, it's not just a Baker criticism. That's just kind of where the league's at with efficiency and trying to get the ball in playmakers' hands. So um, I definitely didn't expect like those types of numbers. I actually expected what he was doing um, a few weeks prior, like that earlier stretch. So after the, uh, especially after like the Baltimore game where he kind of hit this funk. And you're always expecting it, right? Like, so this is how it normally happens when a backup comes in, whether it's a rookie, super talented player or not. Um, you usually get like a one or two game boost. And we, we even saw it with Brock Osweiler this year. You, you get a little bit of a boost, and then defenses suggest. And then the question becomes okay, what's next? Like, the really good quarterbacks and the future starters adjust back. Yep. And they're part of an ecosystem where they're going to help them kind of adjust what they're doing. And it's a constant battle and tug of war. And eventually, because these, if the quarterback's good enough, they're going to become like a good player. Even if it's week to week, it's not necessarily consistent. Um, and we're kind of seeing that from Baker now. Like We're starting to see a better ecosystem around him. We're starting to see that confidence starting to come from him. And it's funny that like I actually wasn't concerned even when this offense had started to bog down. And it was getting really frustrating because of the Hugh problems and i was just my thought was he's average for a rookie and most rookies are bad and that's okay like it it's not you know it's not an issue if a rookie is bad compared to his like veteran counterparts so to see from his ability early on where you saw the ability to get rid of the ball quickly you saw his confidence in his playmakers he one thing i love about him is that he doesn't care who he's throwing to yeah if, if you're open, he's going to get it out very quickly. Um, I think he's good at staying on track within the rhythm of the offense early. And I think that once the play kind of changes a little bit, that's where things kind of slow down for him. Um, and I'd like to see that, you know, be a gr- point of growth moving forward. It's not necessarily a concern. It's just one of those areas where you're saying, okay, like this is hopefully as he gains experience, he's going to become a little bit more um, a little bit more comfortable and a little bit quicker at just kind of moving on to what's next. Um, but if that first guy is open or if he does settle his eyes on someone and they're open, that ball is indiscriminately coming out quickly. Um, so I really like that about him. And I think in the last couple of weeks, you're really seeing the effect of Baker when he's able to get a fairly clean first look or second look. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's able to get like a half read, a half field read, he is very good Um at maximizing those situations because of his accuracy. Um, I think his ball placement and maximizing yards after the catch and maximizing the likelihood of the catch 
is another thing that could improve upon, but he does throw a very catchable ball. So I think there's a little bit of a difference there as far as the accuracy, like the tiers of it, um, so he can get better at the one, but he does give his receivers a great fighting chance. And if you have the right receivers who are decent at, at you know following up and, and doing their part of the job, you're going to have a really effective offense because they're going to convert those opportunities more often than not. Um, and that's a realistic expectation for receivers for the most part. And and so some of it's been luck because you've had guys like Bashad Perriman come in and catch everything in sight as opposed to the first couple weeks when you had um, Callaway dropping a couple of easy passes. And that's just kind of like – it's funny how like the narrative can shift based off of one guy on the other end kind of doing his job fairly well compared to not doing it at all um so so i think some of that has kind of skewed where we were at with baker a little bit but um i definitely think we're getting the full baker effect right now even like you said and and i agree with you that they have not been tested i think reasonably the last couple of weeks um, but at the same time they've taken advantage of it Mm -hmm. so the positive spin on it is that they're doing a really good job of making the most out of their mismatches and creating mismatches on their own. And, and he's obviously um, very much found his stride against that. So that's something to definitely build off of. So I definitely say it's it's ascending, which is great. Yeah, and I think with Mayfield, and I'll sort of echo your sentiment there, that the cast around him has elevated their level of play. And that doesn't mean uh, that he's playing. That You can look at a stat line and surmise that Baker's been playing much better the last few weeks. I don't think that's necessarily the case. He's made some plays, obviously, out of structure. I tried to note that. But he's getting better, like you said. Balls are being caught. Plays around him are being made. Nick Chubb is a difference maker in the backfield, and all of those things sort of mesh to make a potpourri that turns into success. So um, that, that certainly helps. And that sort of segues to my last question I want to ask you. Um, we have, obviously, this rookie class of five quarterbacks and I'm not asking you to make anything you know definitive with this group I think I think I'll I'll say it this way and anybody who looks at the stats right now would say that Baker is playing the best of this rookie class you know we're we're 12 games in um but I I do I'm I'm curious for those of us who don't have the time to sit down and watch Arizona Baltimore uh, Buffalo and uh I'm I'm leaving one out of the Giants the the Jets but Sam's hurt but uh how how are the how are the rest of the quarterbacks playing in this class? Just sort of a, I know that could be a thirty minute answer, but just sort of your short version of how the rest of the groups looked. Yeah. So um, first off, no one should make the time to watch. <laughs> no, don't don't make the time to watch the Cardinals. Don't make the time to watch the Jets or the Bills. Okay, those are dreadful teams to watch right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I actually probably would have said that I thought Rosen was playing a little bit better than Baker, um, it, despite a really dreadful supporting cast and situation. Uh, but I think in the recent weeks, I'd probably say that, that a lot of these guys have actually been similar to the, what the majority of us, or at least the majority of people on Twitter that I trust, um, to make these quarterback evaluations. I think a lot of these guys have kind of lived up to their scouting reports. Um, Baker's had a, had a good impact already in his rookie season. I think in the last couple of weeks, he's kind of separated himself. Uh, from the pack a little bit with his consistency, um, especially not falling trap to the Browns trap, which is <laughs> a great way to put it. Yeah, it just you know, and I like Deshaun Kaiser coming out. You know, I was exciting, excited for him to start, but like when you saw it snowball, he had no way mentally to prepare for that and kind of counteract that. Um, Baker didn't fall into that, and even when he wasn't playing his best, that really meant something to me. Like, that was like, okay, he's passing the test. And 
when his situation gets better, I had confidence it would continue to get better. So I think that's where I look at a guy like Sam Darnold, who was a high turnover risk in college. He had fantastic splash plays in between those kind of frustrating moments. Um, really good fit as far as a West Coast system. Um, I think that he's just really a roll of the dice still at this point. He's a guy that you don't know what you're going to get week to week. Um, I'd like to see him upgrade their situation a little bit too. I, I thought the decision to change offensive coordinators has has definitely not panned out for them. Um, I think it's definitely regressed their situation a little bit. But isolating himself, he's not consistently accurate. He makes a lot of turnover-worthy decisions. Um, but he also makes those huge splash plays still, and he's like that's what's really interesting with him at his age, is that like you just he might be Jay Cutler, yeah, and, and maybe that's just what it is. Um, so he's been kind of true to form. To me, I was not really that high on that overall. Like I still would have taken him, but I I had like a like a late second round grade on him. So um, he just wasn't a guy I just overly optimistic on. Um, Josh Allen, who boy, um, I. I think it's fair to say like when it's notable that a guy made three quality NFL passes out of 19 attempts, um, which has been, has been bandied about this week. I think that kind of just speaks to where he's at in his development. Um, he's a major project. I, I was not high on him coming out, but I had like a mid round grade on him where like, I don't think he was a z- yeah, I think there's a non-zero chance that he can be a decent starter. It just he just very much looks like the project that we all thought he was. Um, there's been nothing this season to really, I think, change that outlook. Um, if he becomes something, it's going to be a great job by coaches, yeah. a great job by himself um, to self-improve and self-scout. Um, but I think that the hope for him is that he's going to be like a Cam Newton type. Where he's just a or a Carson Wentz type, where he's a high variance player, you're going to live with some of those easy misses, and and he'll just make big plays to make up for it. Um, Rosen kind of touched on him a little bit. I think that he definitely looks the part. Um, I think his accuracy isn't quite where I thought it would be as a rookie, but then again, he's also a rookie, um, and he's also dealing with a tr- truly terrible situation. Like Buffalo's a bad situation too, but. Um, Man, like guys, like he, he, just half the guys around him just aren't NFL starters, yeah. and that just makes it so hard to isolate what he's doing. And, and the coaching staff's really bad um, as far as putting him in a good situation. So uh, I, he's been fine. Um, I, I would have hoped to see a little bit more of the flashes, but it's also not at a point where I'm, I would question my my evaluation of him. I think that that'll just get better over time. Um, and Lamar, I was I liked Lamar. So like my tier was I had Rosen one. Um, Baker two, and then kind of a little bit of a drop, and then I had Lamar three, um, and then Darnold, and then Allen. Mm-hmm. And um, Lamar, I think as a passer, I think he's very smart. I think he's way better at reading defenses and as far as like understanding um, leverage of defenders than what people gave him. Some some people gave him credit for. Uh, obviously, there was extremes on both sides, and you you see some of the developmental things with him, just like you do with all these rookie quarterbacks. Um, the underneath defenders, that's going to be something that it plagued him in college a little bit, um, especially in some of the bowl games you saw against the SEC defenses. Like fast underneath linebackers got him sometimes, and it, it got him last week um, on one of his interceptions. So uh, it's going to be an area of growth hopefully for him. But as far as extending plays, as far as making plays outside the pocket, 
um, even as a passer, like not taking away his rushing ability, like none of his rushing success is surprising, obviously. Um, but it's his willingness to throw the ball. It's his willingness to keep his eyes up after avoiding pressure. Um, he's so calm with the ball. And I think that that's something he's just so cool in the pocket or at least as far as behind the line of scrimmage, not necessarily in the pocket because um, he does like to break the pocket a little early sometimes. But when he's behind the line of scrimmage, he wants to throw the ball. And um, I think he's been exactly what Baltimore's needed. And it's kind of funny that they've been so much more efficient as an offense with him in there over Joe Flacco. And part of that's because of the rushing success, but it's also the effect that he has because of his legs. And that's what made him a special player in college because he's so unique in that regard. So um, I definitely think he's a guy, um, his best days are going to continue forward, but I've also been impressed. I've actually been probably a little bit more impressed with him um, as a passer than even I expected because he was, I would say he's an average passer coming out of college, but he had those moments where you could say like, okay, like if he can do that consistently, like if he could do what he did against um, Purdue consistently, like that's going to be an amazing NFL player. Um, And I think that he's obviously not there yet, but he's at least shown signs of it where he's got several throws a game where it's like, that's exactly what you want to build on moving forward. I agree. I think that there are parts and I've only caught little bits and pieces of everybody, but there are parts of Lamar that are very scary uh, in the future, especially him hovering in the Browns, AFC North, that make us a little bit uncomfortable. So, uh, it, it, But his development's going to be very interesting too, and uh, I, I'll leave it at that. That's great. That's a great analysis of the entire class for those who haven't been able to pay attention, see everything. And I, I do know that people in Cleveland love the way it's gone for their pick, which is which is obviously great because this has been – a quarterback uh, desert for for quite some time so it's good to see baker thriving at least giving uh you know the fan base the hope it could flip at any minute we've seen quarterbacks come in perform well and and hit a plateau and go back downhill so i don't like to jump to (laughs) any too far certainties based on nine starts in a rookie a rookie season so um, but yeah, the, the class in, in total, I don't, I, I, a lot of people build it to be one of the better ones we've seen in a long time, still very premature, still have some of them in some sticky situations in terms of coaching around them, player talent around them. And it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys take that year two Jared Goff leap, that leap that Jared Goff took obviously helped. He had a savant calling plays for him, but that is the hope that most people who see a rookie quarterback struggles that that next year. We get the we get the shift in terms of I've seen this I've done this and they and they jump so that dynamic between these five who will be compared throughout their career will be very interesting. But uh, we could talk all day and I, I I would love to have you back on later in the year. We can talk wide receivers because the Browns will be interested in one in the draft. We can talk Haskins if he decides to to make the jump and as uh, a bevy of other topics that we could get into. So we'll save that for probably postseason. But thanks, man. This has been a hot week for Baker. I really appreciate you coming on and giving your analysis and all that good stuff, buddy. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jake. I really appreciate it. All right, man. All right. So, uh, guys, again, follow Ian, uh, NFL at NFL Film Study. Catch his work on Bleacher Report, fan-sided Optimum Scouting. You can get all of that stuff there. Uh, obviously, he's going to give you good content on upcoming draft prospects, going to give you quarterback analysis. Now, this is the first time we haven't had to care about a quarterback in a draft for a while. So, Maybe you could pump, we can pump the brakes on that as a fan base, which is a little weird. So, uh, but yeah, guys, find his work. You're going to follow him on Twitter. You're going to be, you're going to be better for it. So, uh, just a moment here. We'll be right back to wrap up. So shifting focus from Mayfield. Now I want to give you guys a look at what's to come 
uh, with an 8-3 and Houston Texans team. Obviously a team that is riding a high right now. They started out 0-3 on the year, but have since won eight straight games. And uh, most recently, the 34-17 Monday night beatdown of the Tennessee Titans. While I don't see a marquee win on the Texans schedule, I do think they've just played really consistent football against whoever has appeared on that schedule. They're certainly not an unbeatable team by any stretch, but they have uh, really rode a heater. Anybody who can win eight straight games in an NFL season, you have a pretty solid football team. And that's really led by the franchise quarterback, a guy that many Browns fans probably wanted at some point was Deshaun Watson. Watson's really playing his best football of late, coming back from an ACL injury last year. And the Browns benefited, obviously, in a way from the injury that Watson suffered. The torn ACL kind of forced the Texan season downhill, and that fourth overall pick turned into Denzel Ward. And then there's also the Brock Osweiler trade that the Browns put off that also turned into Nick Chubb. So in a way, these two franchises are connected through sort of circoitous trades and uh, different avenues and different shoulda, coulda, woulda situations. But uh, Deshaun Watson is sitting in the year 66% complete, completion, 220 of 333, has 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, playing really good football, was very crisp uh, on Monday in both the run game and pass game. Uh, and, and he's just, he's dangerous. He's he's uh, he's, uh, he's accurate. He, he will make mistakes from time to time. You can pressure him into mistakes, but... He's just a really good football player, a good quarterback, a good leader for that franchise, and he's deadly. If you give him time in the pocket, he's deadly, and he's got two really good outside weapons who can who can go get the football for him. When you look at the Texans' offense, it's led by the trio of uh, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Will Fuller on pro football focus. Now, obviously, Will Fuller's down with the torn ACL, which forced the Texans to go out and make a move, which they did to trade for uh, Broncos wide receiver Demarius Thomas, he's come over, done a nice job for them in a couple games. Seven t- seven catches, 99 yards, couple touchdowns. He's a really good threat opposite of uh, DeAndre Hopkins and gives them a really good weapon. They also use Kiki Kuti, the rookie from Texas Tech. He's questionable for this game, but is obviously a pretty good threat for them as well in the passing game, a good three-headed monster. I've studied a lot of what Bill O'Brien does on offense, and they're really unique. They they use their tight end, Ryan Griffin, in a myriad of ways. They put him in the wing. They put him in the backfield. They put him in the slot. They do a lot of unique blocking schemes with him, so they will use him in split zone to pull down the line and kick out. They'll use him in a, you know another uh, read option scheme where they'll pull him and loop him around to lead block after uh, Watson reads that defensive end. I've, I've tried to note a lot of it last year. They're really doing a lot of the same things this year, and it really gives their offense a level of deception that is tough for defenses to handle, and I'll be very interested to see how Greg Williams handles it. You know, Bill O'Brien noted in their press conference this week about Greg Williams' defense that it's, it presents a unique set of challenges due to the pre-snap movements and different blitzes that the Browns try to bring. And I think the Browns are going to feel the same way about this Texans offense because it is a different look than they're accustomed to getting from a lot of other teams in the NFL. And Watson's ability to run that read option effectively and use its mirrored passing schemes off of the looks that become familiar to the defense throughout the game, it'll be very tough for the Browns to get into any level of predictability and comfort when they're playing them. So what you have to do against the Texans, they they really maximize their talent up front. They are not very talented up front, and actually their left tackle, Julian Davenport, has given up the most pressures in the league and also has the, the highest number of penalties against uh, any lineman this year as well. So I really do look for Miles Garrett to have a big impact on this game, the same way he had a big impact in Houston last year in his rookie year. You know, the Texans start... Nick Martin at center, uh, Senio Calamente, 
at, at one of their guards, left guard, right guard, Zach Fulton and Kendall Lamb at right tackle. I, again, I don't see much talent up front, and the Browns are going to have to win the battle up front with quickness because the Texans do a nice job within that scheme of combating their disadvantages up front with the ability to get the ball out quick, use layered deception to manipulate where guys are going up front and give their linemen who are less skilled you know, that opportunity to make blocks with angles, and that's very important. Now, when you shift to the defensive side of the football, this is where things get even better for the Texans. This is a really fun group they have. There are names all over the field you guys will recognize with this Texans group. They're led by, uh, finally, what is a healthy return of J.J. Watt, who's grading out as their best player on pro football focus and is really one of the best defensive players in all of football right there with Aaron Donald. They also have uh, Jadavian Clowney, who is opposite of J.J. Uh, Watt on the other end, presenting a really tough bookend defensive end grouping between the two, probably the best the Browns will face all year. Maybe uh, Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb are going to present that sort of unique dual defensive ends that can present problems to the, to the offense on each snap when the Browns play the Broncos in a couple weeks. But that doesn't stop with the defensive line for, for the Texans. They have really impressive safeties between uh, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, as we all know, uh, and then they have uh, rookie Justin Reed from Stanford, who a lot of people really liked, who they just drafted this past year in the third round, and what's turning into a really big steal for that defense. The corners are manned by Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson. Kareem Jackson's playing excellent football. Jonathan Joseph, steady as usual. It's just a really impressive defensive backfield. But but if you're looking for where the Texans might sort of suffer a little bit, it's at the linebacker position, but they are getting really good play. From Bernard Rick McKinney, who's their uh, Mike linebacker, as he leads the team in tackles by a pretty wide margin. But he's providing that stability to a position group that is to what is probably the weakest of the position groups on this defense. But nonetheless, don't let it fool you. These linebackers can still get it done. Uh, the team has created enough interceptions to be respected in the league in that regard. They're led by Watts, 11 and a half sacks, but Jadavian Clowney has seven himself. Whitney Merciless, the Big Ten product, also has a, a plethora of sacks as well, three and a half, just enough to make you think about him off the edge as well. The buck for this game will really begin and end with the Browns' ability to handle the edge pressure from both Clowney and Watt. The Browns have done a great job the last two weeks, have not given up a single sack, which is a really important stat because they've suffered between Chris Hubbard, Desmond Harrison, and Greg Robinson. Now, Robinson and Hubbard have played much better the last few weeks. We can attribute that to Freddie Kitchens. So the development of a game plan that can sort of keep the Texans all-pro edge rushers at bay is really going to tell the tale for this, this offense and probably for the, the, the entire game, if we're being honest. The Browns' defense, I expect them to do a decent enough job against Watson, keeping him somewhat confused, keeping the Texans' offense uh, for the Browns to be within striking distance. But this is a real defense. This is very real. It's a real test for the Browns' offense. It has come a long way from the removal of Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. I think they've taken really great steps. It's an important uh, you know, step for this coaching staff who has five games left in their audition. Freddie Kitchens wants to be a long-term play caller. He's getting a lot of respect across the league, and I think that's justifiably so. But you're going to get real challenges over these next few weeks between the Texans, the Panthers, the, the Broncos, and then one more matchup with the Ravens as to just how far this group has come and just how far Freddie Kitchens can handle them should they entertain the idea of keeping him around, keeping the cohesion within the group that is here as they seem to have steadily been improving there really is a route for the browns to win this game but it has to be played with a turnover advantage as they have gotten many times this year and it has to be with them taking care of and protecting their quarterback 
There's no doubt the Texans are favored. The Browns are the underdog, and they rightfully should be. But that's not to say that this group who's been playing inspired football cannot get it done on Sunday, and I expect them to keep it close. I do not think the Browns get blown out. I think they're playing with a lot of passion, a lot of heart. They're rallying behind their quarterback, and I think that carries itself into uh, what could be a letdown game for the Texans coming off their Monday night football performance. But, guys, that's a wrap for uh, this, this, which is now the seventh episode we put together, the Week 13 edition of Browns Film Breakdown. I, I urge you again, I know I say it every week, but it means the world to me. If you guys can log into iTunes, subscribe if you can. If you've stumbled upon this podcast, subscribe. Give me a review if you can. Those things mean a lot. They mean a lot to the Blue Wire Podcast Network as we're rapidly expanding, trying to put the best content together. I think we got a cool... Uh, exciting announcement coming out in the next few weeks about an addition we're making in the Browns market. And I urge you to to hop in there. And if you're interested in the thank you next shirts that we put together, go ahead and grab those two. I've linked that in the Browns film Twitter and then my at Jake underscore Burns 18 Twitter uh, account as well. We would really appreciate you guys supporting us in any way you can. And, and hopefully, like we said, this positive end to the season can keep going as the Browns travel to Houston this weekend. So, uh, again, guys, thanks for listening. Hopefully we can we can do another victory Monday next week. But until then, hope everybody has a great week and an even better weekend. And we'll see you guys on Sunday. Go Browns!